this is going to feel a little academic, and, and I apologize if it does, but there is a point. When you see the words signs and wonders, those are two different words, okay? Now, follow me on this. If you see if you smell what I'm stepping in. There's two different words. Signs, which is the Greek word for smion, is smion, the Greek word for, it just points in the right direction. It's a sign that this is the right guy, the right place. Smion, sign. Wonders, the Greek word is teras, okay? And that word is basically like the, the wonderment and awe, like this amazing thing happened, like you would experience if that happened. And that's in verse 43, signs, wonders. And if you back up a few verses in verse 22, you also see another word which is the word miracles, which isn't teras, it isn't semion. It is, the, and it's just fascinating to me, the word dunamis. The word that you see earlier when it says that power will come upon you, dunamis, which is like where we get our word dynamite, explosive. So you see dunamis, you see teras, you see semion. Three different words that generally are used interchangeably. They're all explaining the same types of things. Now, here, here's why I'm saying that, because your personal miracle in your life for you, your dunamis, what God is doing in your life, becomes a sign that points somebody in the direction of the cross, in the direction of Christ, and it becomes a wonder that brings awe on those that see it. That's why they're used interchangeably. They're all describing the same types of events. It's that miracle is what is happening. The sign is what it is doing. The wonder is the reaction that it is invoking, all in the same word. And the reason that I bring this up is because if, if you'd go with me to the book of John, there's this passage that maybe you've heard before. This promise that Jesus made that seems a little too good to be true. In verse 12 of John 14, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, what I had believed for most of my life that meant was, man, Jesus, you said it, what you did, you walked on water. That means I should be able to walk on water. I should be able to turn water into wine. Except that I don't even know anybody that knows anybody that's walked on water. I don't know anybody that knows anybody that's turned water into wine. So was Jesus wrong? And the reason that I, I bring it up is because then what we've been used is, well, it's because we don't have enough faith because we've got to get the spirit going. We've got to get in one accord, and then we'll do greater things than what Jesus did. Now, when he says the word things, in fact, if, you, if anybody's got a King James, you see the works that I've been doing you will do, but greater works than these. And that word there, works, in the Greek, is not dunamis, it's not teros, and it's not semion. It's the Greek word ergos, ergon, the word for works, the word for that James, when he would say, faith without ergon, without works, is dead, works. When it talks about our good works, Jesus said, let your light shine that they might see your good works. It's the same word that when Peter stood up, Acts chapter 10, and says, this Jesus Christ that you killed, full of the Holy Spirit and power, went around doing ergos, good. 
He went around doing good. He was working. When Jesus was in the, uh, when he was a child, and he says, they said, where would you, you know, why did you wander off? And he said, didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business, his works, his goodness. And the reason that you haven't walked on water, the reason that your little kid hasn't walked on the bath water, the reason that you don't know anybody that knows anybody that has not done greater works than that is because Jesus never promised it. He promised that we would do greater ergos, greater works than he did. And how is that possible? Jesus fed 5,000 in one sitting, hungry people. Adam just returned from Africa with world vision. Whether it's world vision, whether it's compassion, whether it's us, Jesus fed thousands at a sitting. Right now, the body of Christ is feeding tens of millions all around the world every day. Greater things we will do, greater works we will do. Jesus is opening salvo in Luke when he says, when he got up and says, this is my, we'd call it a mission statement, right? He'd be on a whiteboard working out his mission statement. He just opened the Bible instead and said that I've been called, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, set the captives free, open the eyes of those that can't see. And right now around the world, literally tens of millions of Christians are doing that very thing when Jesus was on the earth, he was a, there was one conduit of the Spirit, and it was him. And they had to get in line. They had to break through the ceiling. They had to break through the crowd. They had to wait. And now we all have a front row seat. We don't have to take a number. We go right to the front of the line. And anybody that we encounter has a front row seat and a ticket to the front of the line. To the gift of the Holy Spirit in us, greater things will we do. Now, you might be thinking, Darren, that sounds like you don't believe that signs and wonders are happening still today. And the long and the short answer is, of course I do. There is absolutely nothing in this Bible that indicates that Jesus stopped. There's nothing that indicates that at 376 A.D., when they closed the canon, that God got out of the miracle business. In fact, when you look at what Peter said, this is that that the prophet spoke of. He opens up with the prophecy and says, and starts talking about the blood, the billows, you know, the end of the earth. The last days began on that moment when Peter stood up and said, this is that. By the way, sidebar, if you're looking for a good indicator of how do I know if this is a legitimate sign or wonder from God, you ought to be able to stand up and say, this is that and point to it in the word. The, the, the litmus test isn't, okay, that's weird. That can't be God. And look, that's a struggle for me. I'm like, I, that's kind of weird because we've all seen some of the weirdness. So you think, well, if it's weird, that can't be God, and I don't want to see any of that because I don't want my friends to think that it's weird. Weird isn't the litmus test. In fact, in Acts, when, when they stood up, there were some that said, you guys are hammered, man. They're drunk. This is crazy. There were those that said, that, and then there were those that said, well, what is this? And they inquired of it and became saved. So whether the, someone's reaction to it is not the litmus test. The, re, the, the litmus test is it in the word. Jesus, when he healed, Matthew said in chapter 8, this is that. They said that he would, be healed, he would heal, and it quotes Isaiah 53. We ought to be able to stand up and say, this is that. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that someone's hands should bleed. No one, nowhere does it talk about spiritual feathers flying from the sea. And I don't want to offend you if it's happened in your world. I'm not Holy Ghost Junior. You know, he doesn't need my help in that. But I'm just saying, 
there's plenty for us to do that's right in front of us. We don't need to be making up new stuff, right? But is there signs and wonders for today? And I think that the answer is 150% yes. Not just because my big toe was healed. And if I were to go around this room, I think any one of us could tell of stories. Uh, we've got a friend um, named Mark Bowling. Uh, he and his wife, who are just these dynamos for Jesus, who, and go to Mark 16 as I'm telling you this story, this dynamo for Jesus that goes into places where they will saw your head off for being a Christian, okay? Not like nicely, like with a serrated knife. Like they don't like Christians, and that's where he is going. In Mark 16, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world, verse 15, preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, verse 17, will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it'll not hurt them at all. By the way, this, when it says, go into all the world, okay, the word there is a, it denotes like a journey, like as you are going. It just assumes that you're going. I bring that up because as you're going, you might encounter things dangerous like a snake, okay? It doesn't mean go get the snake and bring it back to church and handle it, okay? Don't bring the snake home. It's like, hey, if you come across the snake, I got your back. But you don't need to bring it in and break out the band and break out the snakes, okay? We live not very far from people who have taken this one verse and done their life. And I'm not saying that maybe any of you guys are doing that, but I'm just saying, if, if you're looking for somebody to, hey, should we be handling snakes? The answer is no. These signs, it will not hurt them. And they'll place their hands on sick people and they will get well. These are the signs that are going to follow you, those that believe. Mark Bowling, I, I, I just, I asked him, I said, hey, send me a couple of emails or a couple of stories that you've encountered in the past year, okay? Mark's been to Sudan. He's been to Pakistan the Philippines and not the safe part. And he says that when he was in Sudan, okay, just recently, and keep in mind, this is a guy that I know. Like, I wasn't there, but I know this guy, and I know he's legit. And he says that the crusade miracles occurred nightly from the beginning, but things really exploded when a lady named Ellen came out of a wheelchair. She had been paralyzed from the waist down for three years. Many knew her, and the crowd exploded with excitement. The next morning, we went to visit her at her home, and when we arrived, she was working in her yard. There were visitors there to see her. Throughout the morning, people were coming to her house to see what God had done for her. She hadn't even gone to bed that night. She was too excited about what God had done for her. And he goes on to talk about the thousands of people that came to Christ that week because of what they had seen. There was a sign, there was a wonder, there was a miracle, a sign that pointed them to the cross, a miracle that brought wonder out of their hearts to worship the one and true God, not Allah, but God. The, the, the true God that, you know, it was, because they're in a very conservative Muslim nation where people are, Muslims are killing Christians right now in Sudan. That's a whole other conversation. That's where he was. And to be able to say that, look, this is the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Jesus, the one promised, the son of David. And he, again, could have been killed, but the lady gets up out of the wheelchair. What are you going to do? Right? And he went on to talk about how he went into a hospital where there were 32 babies in a, a mortality rate that's awful, that babies are dying all the time. And he went to pray for one baby. 
but he saw there were babies everywhere. They were all sick. So we prayed for them, and every one of them were discharged within the next couple of days. And then where they usually die, they all walked out healed. Or not walked out, carried out healed. And that's just one guy. And you know, it's like we look at it and we think, man, why, are the, why is this not happening in our world right now? And the answer is, is that it is. If we were to condense from China to Pakistan to Africa to Haiti and condense the entire experience of Christianity into 30 chapters like the book of Acts, I want you to know I think it's exactly like what happened then. Like this is still going on today. And why is it not happening in America? Jesus, there was one time when it says that he couldn't. And it was in Matthew when he went to his own town. And it says that he couldn't. And they were saying, man, this is Jesus. We know this guy. Like he's Joseph's kid. He's the carpenter. We know him. We're familiar with him. We're complacent about him. Two times, by the way, that he marveled. He marveled once at someone's faith, at a centurion's faith. And the other time he marveled at their lack of faith. Keeping in mind this. Now, I don't want to hear me say this. Because he says then later that you only need faith the size of a mustard seed and that a mountain could move for you. In fact, in that same vignette when he's talking to you about why he couldn't do anything, he marveled because however poor their faith was, it was even less than that. But here's what I think the bigger crime, the bigger sin was. It was their familiarity. They knew him. And we live in a country, man, we know Jesus. We know him in the way that we know Republicans and Democrats and liberals. and we, we're just, It's just something we check. And I'm not, when I say we, I'm speaking a general statement. I'm not saying maybe you and I individually, but as a, as a nation, we're very comfortable with Jesus. If I were to go down to Starbucks and pick out 50 people at random and ask them, are you a Christian as they come in the door? The vast majority would say, yes, we're Christians. They're very familiar with it. They're very complacent about it. And as a nation, we're very complacent. We're very familiar in a whole different way than what we see when you've been global. And maybe when you see the tie-in of awe and wonder and signs and wonders, that maybe our lack of awe has stifled that here. That's just my opinion. That's just my thought. You, you pray about it. See what the Lord says to you. What I do know is when you're in the middle of, middle of nowhere globe, these things are happening with regularity and often and amazing things are happening. We think that the book of Acts isn't just a description of what happened, but a prescription for what can continue to happen. And it's happening all around us. It's happening with the missionaries that we support with people that we've never met because God is still on the move. Now, hang with me just a few more minutes because there are many of us here in this room, in the world around us, immediate room, where you're not trying to figure out, hey, can I go out and work signs and wonders? You're in need of your own sign and wonder, your own miracle that can serve as a sign and a wonder. And you're wondering, why not now? What is it that's happening in me? And, and, and I say this, and I want you to check in with me because the, the, the tendency would be then if I can confess it enough, if I can pray hard enough, if I can believe strong enough that this would then happen for me. And my heart goes out to you because I've been in that situation of wondering why not now? And I think that when you look at the life of Paul, 
we get an answer. Because Paul, in Acts chapter 16, was thrown in prison, okay? For the first time, first of many to come. This time he's in prison, and you might remember the story. It's him and Silas, and he worshiped that night, and the, joy, the, the earthquake happened, and the doors swung open, and Paul was miraculously delivered. And he would have remembered that just a few years earlier, that in Acts chapter 12, that Peter, the same thing happened to him. Now, it would be just a few years later that Paul, again, in Acts chapter 21, would find himself in jail again, okay? Except this time, no earthquake. This time, no angel showing up and opening the door like he did for Peter. This time, he sat in jail, and he wasn't delivered. Not miraculously. And of course, he prayed. In fact, in Ephesians, it tells us that he prayed, God, get me out of here. Actually, it doesn't say that at all. It says he, he prayed and he asked his brothers and sisters to pray, hey, while I'm in here, pray that I can communicate the gospel clearly and effectively. Because Paul learned something that you and I have to learn over and over again, and that is that the story isn't about us. The story is about God, and we are characters in the story. And that there are times when he's going to deliver us from prison, because at that time, there was a jailer that needed to know Christ, that he had an appointment with the Lord. And so he, the jail door's open, and there's the jailer, and that jailer and his family get saved on that day. This time, in Acts 21, he's in jail. The doors didn't fly open, because God probably just needed Paul to sit still long enough to write Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. Like a bunch of the New Testament was written in that period. So while it wasn't sensational, it wasn't spectacular, God was at work and there was something very supernatural going on. And in Philemon, lest you think that Paul was superhuman and you think, man, I can never be like Paul. Because, man, this sucks what I'm going through, and I'm hurting, and it's awful. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, actually, I think it's 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul's talking about what happened in his life. I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking a left turn on you. 2 Corinthians 1, he's talking about what was going on. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about what we went through, because it was hard. And that we despaired, I think it's in verse 8, we despaired even for our lives. We, this death sentence that was upon us. And we despaired, even for our lives. Paul was very human. And we get to see Ephesians, and we get to see Colossians, and we get to see Philemon. What we don't get to see is the day-to-day of Paul having to. Because you know how it is. You fall, and you trip, but where you land is on the word. And that's where Paul landed, which was the word of God, the rhema word for him, which was that it's, I've got you right where I need you, Paul. I, I've got you in this situation. In fact, he says that, here, that he put on us more than I could endure so that I would depend on him. Now, you might have actually said this out loud. You might have seen a successory on the wall or quoted that God will never give me more than I can handle. And that sounds so biblical, except that it isn't. The closest, it's just a misquote of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it talks about that we'll never be tempted beyond what we can withstand, talking about sin, 
not talking about what God will allow in our lives. And the fact of the matter is, is God every day in our lives will allow things that are more than we can handle because it's not through us that we can do all things. It's through Christ that we do all things. Of course it's more than you can handle. Of course it's more than I can handle. We weren't supposed to handle it. We weren't supposed to carry that burden. We're supposed to put that on him, to lay our burdens on him. Paul said that we despaired even unto our, for our very lives for this death sentence. And he actually goes on to talk about death, where is your sting? That resurrection is the defeat of death. Not, not dying, resurrection. Not dying is just cheating death one more time. Resurrection is you were dead and now you're not. That is defeating death. And that's what Paul is talking about, death. Where is your sting? In Philemon, it's only one chapter, I think it's somewhere around verse 22. He talks about the prayers for me to get out of here. Of course, Paul wanted to get out of jail. Of course, he wasn't superhuman, didn't think about it. And his prayer, their prayers were eventually answered. He was out of prison one more time. But then there was the last time when he was in Jerusalem. And this time he wrote, go with me to 2 Timothy. This time he knows the answer to his prayer isn't that he's getting out of jail this time. And he gives you and me a clue for how to handle these situations in our life. Because when I look at it right in front of me, and again, we've got situations in our own church, we're looking at it right in front of us, and saying, God, this is heavy, this is hard. When I look at it from this view, from this vantage point, this is really heavy. Paul, looking at it, prison, they're about to execute this guy. And from the view of the jail cell, that's heavy stuff. But he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, this is his last letter before he dies. This is what he's saying to Timothy, his protege. Hey, here's some things. This is the last things I need to communicate to you before I go on. He says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and look, this is our key, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. When I'm looking at it from this view, from this life, it doesn't make any sense. I have to not look at it from my view. I've got to look at it in view of his kingdom, of his appearing. And when I look at it from his kingdom, I know that at some point, even though I may not understand it on this side of heaven, I can know that God is writing a story that is so much bigger than me, so much bigger than this situation, so much bigger than the suffering that I might be experiencing right now. Yes, God could right now miraculously take care of the problem. He could deliver you. He could heal you. He could swing open the doors of the job that you feel trapped in. He could swing open the gates of the depression that you feel locked into. But in view of him, of what he has from his view, he might need you to be there a little bit longer. Because there might be a guy named Philemon around you somewhere that needs Christ. There might be a jailer that needs Christ. There might be the biggest sign and the biggest wonder, which is not my big toe being healed, but your heart being supernaturally transformed by the power 
of Christ. Regenerated, you are new in Christ, a new creature. There is no greater sign or wonder than that. And he might need you there for that moment, for that guy, that deal. I've worked in music all my life, and if some of you guys are musicians in here, you've heard this, the the night when there was one or two people there, and they're like, well, and the the promoter always says this, well, man, if if just one person came to Christ, it was all worth it. You know, and if you're a band, you're like, no, that's not true. It's like, <laughs> it'd been worth it if he came to Christ. And there were 500 people here. And, and I say that, it's kind of, we kind of joke about it. It's kind of cliche. And, but I got to tell you, look, think about this. Paul sat in prison for how long? 2,000 years later in eternity, okay? He's still probably hanging out with the jailer and his whole family. He's still probably hanging out with Philemon and Onesimus and everybody that he met and encountered on his way through that. And I promise you, he has not a single regret. There is not a beating he wouldn't have taken. There wasn't a snake he wouldn't have been bitten by. There wasn't a a shipwreck he wouldn't have taken part in because he knows now what God was doing. And in those moments when we don't know Why did the sign not happen? Why did the wonder not happen to me? Why is my miracle not here yet? The faith that we need isn't for the miracle. The faith that we need is to trust that God really does have our back. When you look at Job, and you see halfway through the story, he's lost everything. He doesn't have the advantage of Job chapter 1 and 2. Like, he doesn't even know. And God, he has the moment to say to Job, hey, here's why to defend himself. Here's what he does. He takes Job's friends who have said, well, it's because you're not smart enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're not this, you're not that. And he sends them over to the corner in sackcloth and ashes and says, now think about what you've done. And now back to Job. Look, that's not why it happened in your life. It's not some secret sin. It's not this or that. And then he gets the chance to say why. And he says to Job, did you put the stars in the sky? Did you put the Leviathan in the sea? Did you? He's just basically saying to Job, I would love to explain to you, your brain just can't handle it right now. And I've said it here before, but I've got a four-year-old son, and as much as I want to explain to him why he can't have Doritos for breakfast this morning, he doesn't understand it. And I can logically explain it to him all day long, but he is not, his brain is not developed enough to get it yet. And at some point, whether he likes it or not, he's not getting Doritos for breakfast. And at some point, he'll understand that, but today he didn't. Not at Kroger. He, he really didn't understand it. And I know that I don't mean to belittle your problems by, by comparing them to Cheetos, but it's the, most, it's the only analogy I can think of to explain that I don't understand it, and it's okay, I'm not supposed to. I can't yet. Now, someday it says that I will. Someday I'll be sitting around the throne saying, righteous and true are your judgments, God. Bah, that was it. That was why. And for now, my faith is to say, I still trust you. I still believe you. To know that Jesus encountered a blind man and the Pharisees were, well, was it because his father sinned? Was it because of this or that? And Jesus says, no, 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 you guys. So that in this day, God would be glorified. That man spent 40 years blind, but in that day, God was glorified. Now, 2,000 years later in heaven, do you think God, the guy was irritated? Sitting every day for 40 years, blind as a bat. And do you think now that he's irritated about that? No. Don't worry about him. God's got him, and I swear there's a party going on, and someday you'll be able to take care of that party. And maybe your miracle comes, and maybe you have that great sign and that great wonder and that great story that draws men to Christ, and maybe not. And both of those are okay, because both of them are part of the story that God is writing. That, again, I don't like it sometimes, a lot of times. 
And that's where my faith has to come into play to say, but God, I trust you anyway. And as we worship just a little bit longer, I know that we've talked a lot this morning. My hope is that when we don't understand why the sign, why the miracle of this didn't happen, that we go back to the original sign that it all points to to begin with, the cross. And a great opportunity for that is with communion. We have it available every Sunday because it's a constant reminder of what the real miracle, the real sign, the real wonder that a God would become man, that he would dwell among us, that he would die to pay for the price of my sins so that I would no longer be on the outside looking in, but on the inside of a God that makes his glory, his goodness. We talked about that last week. Exodus 33, Moses said, show me your glory. And God says, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. His glory, the purpose of signs and wonders and miracles isn't so God can show his power. He's got that all around us in the universe. It's to show his goodness and his love for us. And the original sign, the original wonder is the cross. And as we worship for just a couple minutes longer, my prayers today for you, for me, Paul says, make your supplications and your requests known. That we would pray that God would bring the miracle, would bring the deliverance, would bring the provision, would bring whatever it is that we're asking for and simultaneously trusting that he's got us in the palm of his hand. He isn't out of control. He hasn't lost sight of you and what you're doing. And knowing that whatever the answer is to our prayer, yes, no, later, that it's from God. Father, these are heavy words and hard things to hear sometimes. But we know that even when we don't get it, we can be reminded that the cross, we cross-examine it. It, you, it might not feel good or comfortable, but we know that you're good. We know that when you died the way that you did, you chose to do that for us, that we can trust that anything else that comes from you is good. That is your goodness, your kindness that leads us to repentance, your kindness that sustains us, and your kindness that will lead us home. And in the meantime, might we have faith, like Paul, to say that in view of your kingdom, in view of you, in your viewpoint, that you've got us in control. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.